Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence, learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am very excited for today's show. My friend and new tennis partner, Lawrence Black, joins me to share with you how he started and developed his career over the past two decades, which has led to founding his own company, the Standard, the Index Standard, which has become a vital resource of financial information, and we'll learn more about that. As uh, my regular listeners know, most often the big success stories do not roll out on a red carpet. Rather, there's luck times of struggle, uncertainty, and digging down for the courage to be true to yourself. I'm so appreciative Lawrence uh, is making time to join me. Lawrence, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thank you very much, Molly. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, it's really a treat. And and I have to tell you, we have to schedule tennis for next week. And I had a great lesson yesterday. Fantastic. Okay, so from our conversations, right at the start, I was very taken by your spirit of generosity. And I consider one of the greatest acts of generosity is sharing one's own story in life. Uh, I know you were born and raised in Africa, worked all around the globe. Um, So I appreciate you taking us through uh, bits of your journey. Sure. Thank you. So, you know, I guess uh, let, let me tell you where I am right now and where it all began. So right now, as you said, I'm the founder of the Index Standard. And the Index Standard is an information portal for indices, and we want to help empower investors to understand indices and do better. And really, this sort of brings together my 20-year investment banking career, of which most of my time I've spent developing indices. And it's been great to sort of be involved in developing indices because indices are now very popular, and they're packaged up as ETFs. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of ETFs. So I've been at the forefront of developing indices, and it's really been great to see the industry evolve, been using technology and a lot more sort of academic applications are now available to investors. And then I guess, you know, throughout my career, I've been lucky enough to work with some well-known investors. I've worked with Jim Rogers, who's a well-known commodities investor. I worked with Joel Greenblatt, a well-known value investor, and then an academic called uh, Robert Schiller. So it's also been great to sort of pick up some insights from them in in, in terms of thinking about investing. Sort of Joel Greenblatt always likes to keep it simple. Robert Schiller always likes to look at long-term history and think about the past and how it's going to impact the future. And Jim Rogers likes to think about the macro big picture. So you can pick up things that I through the working with these high-profile investors. So that's really a little bit about, about my background. And then, as you said, Molly, I, I was born in Africa. Well, I was actually born in Zimbabwe. I lived in South Africa and Spain and England. And, you know, my family is English. And uh, after college, I, I went to England and, you know, was lucky enough to get into investment banking. And, you know, I was doing a sort of temporary job. Um, but luckily enough, I worked hard and was able to get a job and became a trader and sort of that began this whole journey of learning about finance, trading stocks and bonds and then ultimately it ended up today where my um, company, the Index Standard, tries to help people with their investing. Well, it's just so great. I'm going to dig down, triple click on this. Oh, grew up in Africa. Oh, all around the world. So share, you know, just so we have a sense for uh, what it was like um, growing up in Zimbabwe. I mean, I have, I've been to Africa a few times and I have flown over that. Um, but just share a bit about what life was like. I don't know if you have siblings and then the moving around the world because I think that's a very unique um, and I would think you know, quite a privilege to have that view of the world at a very young age. Yeah, I think living in, in different countries really gives you a, a perspective on seeing the world through a different lens. You try and, 
it helps you understand other people's views and context. And I think it, it makes you much more tolerant. You know, so I was born in Zimbabwe, lived in South Africa and England for a bit. Um, and then I moved back to sort of England uh, when I finished university. So having those experiences has been you know, re- really very interesting. And I think it's made me um, much more aware of other people, much more sort of ho- hopefully open-minded and a little bit more tolerant um, for people and their, and their own situations. Can you talk a bit about the race um, and the, the blacks and white in, in Zimbabwe, South Africa? You know, I think from far away, we read a bit about that. I'm just wondering what your own experience, very integrated, not an issue, or, you know, what was it like? Yeah. You know, so I, I guess I came from a, a very liberal family, and um, I was educated at a school in South Africa that actually did have um, Indians and, and some black people. So... I guess that was always quite important to my parents to be sort of open-minded and not be dogmatic and going with with the trend of obviously there was apartheid. Um, and, you know, I think that sort of translated being open-minded uh, as it turns out that my, my wife has turned out to be Chinese. So it's it's been, um, I think, it guided by my parents. It, it created a, a great, it was a great home that was open-minded, liberal, talking about you know, repression that was happening and being made aware of it and then sort of being exposed to an environment that helps you sort of overcome that. Did you see cases of people, you know, were a lot of bias against them? I'm just wondering what you had to see and did you feel like you could step in with your voice? Yeah, I I think, you you know, throughout one's life and one's career, you you see this. Um, And... Ultimately, I think the way it translated for me was, you know, when I was working in, in London and, and America and, and, and the teams that I've run, you know, I've always tried to keep them diverse. And by that, I mean diverse in terms of gender. Um, you know, so always nicely balanced between um, men and ladies and then the teams that I've run. And also, we've had a lot of races and then people from different countries and in my past teams have had people from Vietnam, Sri Lanka, English people, people from China, so all over the world. So it's really a melting, a, a melting pot and sort of bringing all these people together and, and giving everyone a fair shot at progressing and giving them the opportunity. So I think that's been what I've learned and the way I've tried to express that. It's so fantastic. And I would say, you know, I think if you think of high finance, I don't know that we necessarily think of it as the most diverse profession out there. I mean, a lot of obviously great progress has been made for women um, and minorities. Thoughts on, you know, that the, the, the financial sector and, you know, do you see it moving, you know, with great speed toward a more inclusive environment or you know, what holds it back? What do you think needs to happen? It is absolutely moving at rapid speed. So, you know, I'll give you some clues. What I've heard um, is a lot of investment banks, when they're hiring their graduate uh, intakes, what they will do is they will actually try and offer, make more offers to to females than, than males to try and readdress the balance. So that's one thing that's happening also. And, and I see that, you know, big banks and financial institutions are trying to rebalance their current structure and they're giving opportunities to people of color, giving opportunities to, to, to ladies. So I think it's really great to see that they've recognized that their, work, that, that their workforce didn't reflect the wider society and they're making these changes. And it's really happening very, very quickly. That is so fabulous to hear. And I know, you know, on, on all fronts, the intention is there. And I think it's amazing, the example that you set. And I just, you know, it's it's really great when you can inherently just see the person, you know, and I think, and not uh, what the color of the person is or where they're from. And And I do have a lot of compassion. I mean, I grew up myself feeling very odd, odd gal out. You know, they're just yeah. all white. And so I really have um, a lot of 
empathy for it. And it's really just a great learning opportunity on all fronts. Um, let's segue to the career thing. I want folks to uh, take me through, because this was kind of funny to me, because you were you got into this quote unquote trading thing, which was I understand was your first job, but it was not wasn't really so intentional. So I just want to help people appreciate some of the serendipity that happens that, you know, made all the difference. And maybe take us through that early story. Sure. So I guess my sort of plan slash dream had always been to work as an equity analyst and sort of do some research on companies and then make a buyer recommendation yeah, that was pretty glamorous in the early 90s, and, and that was something that I, I thought had appealed to me. And then I, I went to London, and what I quickly learned was that the fixed income market, by that I mean bonds, the, that market is so much bigger than the equities market. So there are a lot more jobs in, in fixed income. So I sort of fell into the fixed income land, and when I was working in an investment bank, and I was on the trading floor as an assistant, helping uh, book tickets and so on. And then, um, you know, one day a trader came from America and he needed some people to help him. And two people uh, on my desk tried to help him, but he sort of ended up chewing them out. And on Tuesday morning, they asked me to help this uh, senior trader out. And I did. And then for the rest of the week, we got on like a house on fire. We, we worked late and doing a whole lot of trading and I was helping him. And then um, the next, he went back to New York, and I was in London that time on the Friday night. And then the next Monday morning, the trader who had that regular job was supposed to come back from holiday. The, this U.S. trader had been over to cover for him. And anyway, on that Monday morning, the London trader who was supposed to come back to work never came back. So he actually quit and went to another firm. And then uh, that uh, U.S. trader called me up around lunchtime and said, all right, you're going to be the trader for the desk, Lawrence. So go sit on the desk and I'm going to teach you. And, uh, and that's how my trading career began. So it was a uh, little bit of uh, hard work and luck uh, that got it off to a start. That is so fabulous. That is so fabulous. So this, you know, you've used the word indices. Maybe take a moment just to define that for folks so we have a common understanding of that. And then love to hear just a little bit of the career progression after your trading Sure. Start. So an index is in contrast to a mutual fund that we probably all love and know. And a mutual fund normally has an active manager. And that active manager might say, you know, I'm always going to be looking for the best stocks. And he might use a, he or she might use a mixture of quantitative signals and they might look at the P.E. ratio or the amount of cash that a company has on hand. So that, that's what an active manager does. And then an index sort of simply tries to replicate what an active manager is doing, but it's a rules-based process. It's algorithmic. And normally an index at the end of every quarter, it might say, choose me, the, choose the 50 cheapest stocks on the U.S. market and use these metrics, and you might use the P.E. ratio or the dividends or some other cash metric. And in fact, there are thousands of metrics you can use, but at its, at its heart, an index is an algorithmic passive approach that will always repeat its, its process each uh, quarter or semi-annually and pick what it's supposed to do, whatever it's designed to do, whether it's pick stocks that are cheap or pick stocks that are growing fast. And again, there's a huge flavor of indices available today. Wow. So sort of moving on to your second question, Molly, the way my career progressed, I spent first couple of years uh, in fixed income and fixed income analysis and trading. And then I did an MBA as I wanted to sort of broaden my horizons and learn a little bit more about business. And then after the MBA, I did two years of consulting, which was actually really great. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go and work at some car manufacturing companies. I worked at a big uh, UK submarine tanks company. I worked at a couple of banks and some supermarkets. So it was great to sort of see how the real world works and as opposed to sort of moving around the world of high finance, which is really sort of paper-driven, stock-driven. And then I got a job uh, in a bank working in the strategy department. 
and that went really well. I sort of progressed. I had a, and she had a team working for me. And, and then I sort of came to a crossroads where um, my boss was actually let go. And um, luckily enough, the, 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 the bank said to me, you know, we like you, so we want you to sort of see what other jobs you can find in, within the bank. And, you know, I went around and spoke to a number of people. And I was lucky enough to get about four offers. And the one that sort of stuck out to me was working in the, in the index group. And the reason I liked this was it sort of seemed to go back to be what, what my original career plan was to sort of be an equity analyst. And it seemed I sort of could combine that by creating indices. And the thing that I love about creating indices, you sort of becoming, become an, you, you become an expert in a certain area in a short space of time, you go and research it. For example, you might be creating a thematic index that you want to capture the rise of Chinese consumers. So you go in and research that area. You then think about metrics, how you can find metrics, develop metrics to capture that theme, and then you would develop that in index. So I was very fortunate to, to get this offer. I joined the team, and I just loved it. It was really it's fantastic because you're sort of, always learning something new as you're developing a new index. It's like a mini project. You, you learn something, you develop it, you move to something else. And after a couple of years, I was fortunate enough to end up running the team and began to work with some well-known investors. And then after a couple of years, I was poached by another big investment bank who wanted to build up their index group. And at the time, it was very small. They had just a handful of indices and a very small amount invested, and I joined them, um, and it was a tremendous journey to build up their index group, and, you know, over the space of that time, we added, built about a 1,000 indices, wow. we partnered with uh, Robert Schiller to develop indices, and we ended up having billions uh, invested in the indices, so it's been a sort of great journey um, to get to this point. Wow. So, and Robert Schiller, folks, is a Nobel laureate. And so I think, you know, this is, it does sound very dreamy. Um, I just want to focus on the people part because I, it's very natural for you to honor people, to listen to them. I know that. I don't know that well, and I just know that about you. Can you share as you were in your managing leading journey Lawrence, were, was it hard at all? Were the things that were challenging? Did you get great support? Because oftentimes we hear of people who are very good at X, but then they're, then they're managing X and they're not so good at the managing part. Yeah. I just want to know, you know if you proactively reached out or if it actually was something that came quite naturally for you. Yeah, it, was, it was a little bit of both. I think it sort of came naturally, but also there was a lot of support in terms of training courses the human resources department would run events on how to manage people, how to evaluate them. So I think it, it was a bit of both. Um, I would say I've sort of, I feel like I've always been an outgoing person. So talking to people, listening to them, and then trying to help them with their careers. I think for me, one of the biggest things is once I realized uh, when I was sort of dealing with people that worked with me, you know, the way I sort of uh, I adopted this mentality was my job was to try and help them flourish in their career. And, and you know, I'm the sort of support for them. So once I sort of realized that and adopted that, I think that becomes very helpful where you want, if you want your team members to succeed and you're the one who's trying to help build them up and prop them and give them the support that was um, fairly formative to help them grow in their, their careers. And then ultimately, you know, that benefits me as their, as their manager. So obvious, and I know folks are, people are either listening saying, yeah, yeah, I got that, or people are thinking, God, I wish my boss would get that. Did, was that a, a switch that sort of clicked? Did someone tell you? I'm just wondering if you got feedback that said, you know, you can let go of the reins a little, and really all you need to do is focus on the people. I know this sounds so basic and simple, but the vast majority in the, of people in work are not experiencing the boss as the ally. The boss is here to help me be my best. And so I, I do want to just unpack this a bit in terms of how you had this epiphany. Yeah. You, you know, I think it comes with time. I think as, as, a, as a young manager who's sort of leading people for the first time, that's not the natural instinct. The natural instinct is I want to progress and 
I want my team to support me and my goals. I think that's the natural instinct. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to, to figure that out. Um, and then once you, you figure out it's about actually these other people supporting them, empowering them, then you can do that. But the, it takes um, confidence to do that because initially as a young manager, one typically thinks it's about me. You know, I've just got a new job and uh, it's all about me. And, and, you know, that is the thing you have to sort of realize. It, it's not really about you. It's about the team. It's about all striving to a common goal. So I think it, it, it did take me a couple of years to sort of figure that out. Um, and also, I was fortunate enough to have some success that it then became, well, I didn't really need to sort of try and steal the glory as if it were I had, had enough success that I could say to the team members, it's all about you, you, you know, you go do it, I'm here to support you. So I think it was a little bit of experience and having some success that you can then realize you can actually support people and help them grow. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Will you share, you've been some very big corporates, right? And there's big structure and a lot of advantages to to being in a big organization and then yeah. this entrepreneurial journey. So just talk to us about, you know, was it just an easy thing? Like I'm out of here. Um, you know, what do you miss about the corporate world? I think that transition would be fascinating. So that's a great question because I mean, maybe you've had some other people, some people listening might've made the decision quickly for me. It was agonizing and it took <laughs> months. So yeah, I sort of, I, I approached my boss when I was sort of been thinking about this. And I guess, you know, the, re- the, the reason that I wanted to leave, it was really about growth. I, I felt I'd been doing the same thing for about three years. Um, and listen, I had a fantastic job. I had a, led a couple of great teams. We built a big business and I was traveling around the world, meeting some interesting people. But ultimately, I decided I really wanted to grow and, and to challenge myself. Um, so I, I sort of mentioned this to my boss, and I, I kind of remember the, 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 the time frames, and it was early summer in July that I first mentioned it. And, you know, my boss was very understanding and said, listen, we want to support you. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. But then within a, you know, a couple of days, he came back and said, well, we don't want you to leave. We want you to stay. And what would it take for you to stay? And yeah, and listen, I'm not going to lie to you, Molly. Of course, I was tempted as it's, it's fairly terrifying to go out on your own, you know, think about health insurance, where am I going to find the money to build something? Um, so it was, it was fairly terrifying. And, and um, I also had a couple, we have some big changes happening on some of our major indices and I wanted to see those through. And some of them involved Professor Schiller. So I, I stayed and Barclays tried to tempt me back. But in the end, um, it was really the opportunity to do something new uh, was what drove me to to drive to, to to make this change and become an entrepreneur. But it was, you know, it was very nerve wracking, very scary, um, scary thought when you've worked your whole career in big corporates to suddenly be on your own. So it was uh, for me, it was terrifying. Bravo. Thank you for sharing that terrifyingness and we can feel it. And I just want listeners to appreciate. So this is going on folks, right? And and we're going to have some self-doubt and then this notion of courage and being drawn to what, you know, you needed to do. Lawrence obviously um, was so key. Um, so in this entrepreneurship, you know, what is it that you're missing about big corporate life? You know, is parts of it that you're like, oh my God, I had no idea it was going to be like this. I'm just wondering how... Um, you know, any, any um, shocking things about being on your own? Yeah. And- so it's a couple of things that I do miss. And I would say the first couple of things really relate to the, the organization and the people. When I was working in investment banking, I was generally working with people who were very smart. And it was great to, to work with them and bounce ideas off. And you could always sort of say, oh, I think maybe we should think about doing this. And you could have a really interesting debate where you'd get a lot of different opinions and a lot of different views from very smart people. So that was really just a fantastic environment, intellectually challenging, working with smart people who are always there to give you some good views. So I, I definitely miss that. The second thing is, um, you know, it's the, the camaraderie, working with people, you know, just a, a nice office environment is also something that I, I feel like I miss. Um, and then the final thing 
was I did a lot of traveling. I was very fortunate to sort of travel the world. Um, you know, on a typical year, I would end up going to London a couple times and maybe a couple trips to Asia that would include Tokyo, Beijing, Singapore. And I always enjoyed traveling and, and A, because as I said earlier in, in our conversation, it opens your mind. So that's been something that I've always enjoyed. And whenever I was in one of these places, I always try and, you know, if I would, if, if I would arrive, for example, on a Sunday morning and then I would have meetings on Monday in the I'd have a little bit of free time in the afternoon on on a Sunday, say, for example, for, for example, I would always try and do something. So if I was in, in Israel, I went to the Wailing Wall, or if I was in Beijing, I went to Tiananmen Square, and you know I mean, in Japan, we traveled around on the bullet train. So I always enjoyed these sort of experiences that being overseas could, could offer you to, to learn new things being expo- and being exposed to different cultures and you know, just widening one's own perspective. Yeah, that's definite. I think just the notion of travel, the where we are now, people are like, oh my gosh, I'd be happy just to go to a different state. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so wonderful. The what's the? I mean, I you know, I know you're you're in this building phase, but what's the? I guess the most gratifying thing about where you are now. A couple of things I would say. Firstly. I enjoy building things. You know, it's, it's, it's really satisfying that I sort of had an idea about a year ago, and now I spent a sort of a year working on the models to sort of rate indices and ETFs, and that, that's what we do. We look at an ETF that's available in the market, and we rate it, and we give it a gold or a platinum or a silver. And it took me about a year to build up that model to to rate ETFs and now to sort of see it live and then to see a couple of clients who have bought the product or are very interested in the product. That for me is is really very gratifying. That's awesome. I have to tell folks, so I had uh, talked to an advisor and I saw so I mentioned you and the, he just couldn't go on about how fabulous, of course, everyone uses them. So behind the scenes, um, for a lot of folks who have people helping them, those folks are using Lawrence's <laughs> information. Um, talk about, for folks who are there, maybe a little bit more savvy investors on the call, like what would you like them to know if they don't know about you already um, and where might they check out, um, you know, more about your what you offer them? Great. So I think a couple things spring to mind. I always think about... Um, being diversified, uh, sometimes a lot of folks fall in love with one stock or, or one ETF that might be the NASDAQ. And I think you've always got to remember to be diversified. So that that's the number one thing that I, I would think people should always remember. And certainly on my website, when I'm rating an index and thinking about what makes up a robust and high-quality index, we look for indices that are diversified and give good exposure to all kinds of stocks um, and that are, that are not concentrated and that, that they hopefully won't blow up. So that, that's really important to me. And, you know, one can go to our website, which is theindexstandard.com, and you can type in one of our search boxes in ETF that you might like, and you can see our rating. And the other thing we try and do is you kind of mentioned this, you know, high finance, a lot of people use very complex terms, and, and what we've tried to do is keep everything approachable. We try to keep it very clear and concise, and we don't use any technical terms that are uh, confusing. Yeah, that's awesome. We love that because we need to help everyone. Everyone works really hard for what they get, and we want to make the most of it. Um, let's exactly. um, yeah, let's switch to the family life because you've got these darling daughters, and, you know, I'm, I'm, when you see what's going on in the world, Lawrence, as a father, um, I'm wondering, you know, what your hopes are for them, uh, your thoughts on, you know, what you're learning as a parent. Um, just, you know, appreciate some, some sharing of that part of your life. Yeah, so um, I think certainly, you know, for my daughter, one thing is, is really to make sure that she feels empowered and that she has a voice and that she has the ability and I think hopefully the opportunity to go out there and really do anything she wants. I certainly don't want her to be constrained by the old sort of way society used to be. And I think it's great that it's changing rapidly. And so I think 
she'll have a lot more opportunities, but it's also really about making sure that she feels that she has the tools to succeed. So it's encouraging her, obviously, focusing on education, but focusing on hobbies and you know, doing a little bit of sport, trying to do a little bit of everything and really build her up uh, to make sure she's got the confidence to go out there in the world. Oh, she's very fortunate for that. Um, as you um, reflect um, work-wise, do you have any regrets or do-overs? Now, assuming you're, you're, you are where you are, right? You, everything's the same. Anything you think back that you, um, you know, would have done differently? Yeah, there's always a couple of things. You know, I think uh, one sort of regret I had is when I left banking and before I started the index standard, I was looking at a couple ideas and, uh, you know, I spent way too much money on, you know, ideas that didn't fly. And that's, you know, so that, that's been a sort of regret. But, you know, it's, it's also a learning experience. You learn, well, I've learned some great things that I've used in the index standard try to be very judicious with the money that I spend to make sure that it, if I'm going to invest in a certain area, it needs to be impactful and needs to have a payback. So um, there's always regrets, but uh, I think that's one of the things that I've, I've learned, um, just sort of being very careful and thoughtful um, how I'm going to grow my own business. Nice. Um, and uh, from a personal growth, you know, I'm, we're working with leaders. I know you're continually someone who wants to learn. Um, is there a particular area of growth that you're working on right now? Yeah. So, you know, I'd say one thing that I, I was lucky enough, and I guess would say in my, my previous role, that I worked in an area of banking called structuring. And it was really fantastic because you know, we would be involved in the design of an index and thinking about the finance side. We'd be involved in the legal side, writing up the rules and even the term sheet, closing a trade with the client. We've been involved with the marketing side as well. So I feel like I've got a good handle on that aspect. And the one area of growth for me has been really sort of figuring out the whole IT and the website side. Um, that's been an area of growth and sort of I had very little idea how that works. And it's, the last year has been a journey on figuring out how you build a website, how you get your data to the website, how you make it update uh, or frequently. And, you know, it sounds like mundane, but these are some of the crucial details that, if, you know, you don't have a website that doesn't load properly or you don't display the data that can really kill your business. So for me, that's been a real um, area of growth. Um, and then I'll say the other aspect is more on the personal side is, um, it's just sort of trying to get a balance. I, I found that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're always on. I'm always working. And, you know, my kids will say to me, oh, daddy, you're always working. When are you going to take a break? And so I've sort of just tried to balance that out. And what I try to do on, on the weekend is make sure that I spend, you know, an hour or two with each of my kids doing some sort of physical activity. Might be playing tennis going for a walk or a walk on the beach or just doing something with them that, you know, we're talking and there's no devices close by and we can connect. And I like to do that with physical activities, I think is a great way. So that's one thing I'm quite conscious of these days is to make sure that I've got that balance. That's awesome because that you can't buy that time back and it's a great, exactly. um, yeah, it's a really great example. So let's segue because this is the say it skillfully part of the show here. So I imagine that um, there might be a challenging conversation or situation that you have or maybe you had and would like to have done it a little bit better. So is there something that I could help you with? You know, I think one of the, the, the challenging things that I've always found is when dealing with people, everyone in an organization always wants to get promoted. <laughs> everyone always wants more opportunities. And everyone always wants to get paid more. So I think that, that, that's a challenge that, uh, that is sort of one faces, even if you're in a big business, even if you're a small business. That's one sort of challenge that I've always um, encountered. Yeah, that's a great one. And I'm really grateful that you brought it up because um, these days, the bar in some cases is like having a job. So we are really in a different state. And I think for leaders, the... Um, being transparent about what does it mean to be successful here is really important. And 
giving people the permission to realize that lateral moves, that um, different kinds of assignments, those are all wins. And I think that it gets to be a win or lose. If you get the promotion, of course, only one person can get a promotion, right? Everyone else is a loser. And and I think that energy um, is something that, you know, we're here all to contribute to the team. And, you know, anything, anyone in an organization, we want the best people to be leading. And so to be able to clarify what is best, what gets very annoying is when people see someone and they don't really know why is that person there or worse, they don't actually believe the person is there. They don't believe that that person deserves to be there. She's there because she's a woman. He's there because he golfs with the boss. You know, these are the kinds of things that kind of go down around the water cooler. Exactly. Right? So the ability to be very transparent about, you know, you're all here for a reason. We love you all. We all want to work together to do great things because that helps us all. And when we think about, you know, the most successful, this is what it means. And just being very clear for people so that, and, and you know, it, when people are transparent and, you know, you can see who's a bit better or not as good, people aren't dumb. <laughs> they know. Yeah. And so if they feel like they can game the system and that's what they need to do to be successful is to game the system, you're off on a tough track. So if people realize that we're here to, you know, honor you for who you are, we're telling you these are the kinds of things that, that are going to, you know, be the things that help you advance sooner. And by the way, you don't have to. We're going to also love you if you think that you want to stay in a, in a you know, uh, maybe more expertise, less leadership, what have you. So I, I would share those thoughts. How does that land for you, Lawrence? That is fantastic because I think, you know, that's a challenge that a lot of people face. And I love the way you positioned that. That, that was skillfully said. <laughs> I appreciate that. So just to, to wrap here, um, do you, you know, when you think about all you shared, I'm just curious, what, reflecting, what was it like for you to share your journey with all of us? It's been tremendous fun. And, you know, one thing I personally enjoyed was, you know, we had some discussions, Molly, you, you sent me some questions, and it was a real opportunity to reflect and, and think about, you know, where I am right now and what's been good and what's been bad. So I've really enjoyed that sort of reflection time. Well, that's fantastic. Do you have a particular top takeaway from our little chat? You know, one thing if I could impart to listeners is the following. I kind of mentioned it, but stay diversified. You know, there's a lot of stories about so-and-so or my neighbor's friend put $1,000 into Amazon. It's now worth 100000 You know, stories like that. We've all heard them. But actually, in reality, there's very far and very few between. So if you're going to be investing, stay diversified. The index standard can help you um, and stay the course. And don't worry about other people who are supposedly making all this money. In reality, it's probably just an urban myth. It's awesome advice, Lawrence. I cannot thank you enough. So grateful. Um, let me know if I can be of help at all. I'm always cheering for you, and I appreciate you calling it and being part of the solution. You take good care. Okay, I'll invite folks to call in if you would like, 866-472-5790 or internationally. You can call Collect, country code one four eight zero three nine eight three three five. Two. Okay, I have a huge backlog, so let's see what I can get through um, of scenarios people have reached out to me on. So the first one, and we'll call him Raju, who's literally killing himself, working 12-hour days and getting reprimanded for it. And it, his, um, his scenario is, how do I tell my superior that I'm unable to complete the work I've been assigned because I'm overwhelmed with my peers' work, uh, which they're passing on to me. And it appears the manager's unhappy with Raju's work ethic, even though he's going above and beyond from an hour's standpoint. So the context is it's only a four-person team. He's the most junior person. And they had been a five- or six-person team. So the, the people have left, and the workload is, is close to double. Um, and he's doing a lot of work that's not necessarily easy, easily measured. Uh, he used the metaphor, like a mechanic, you're making the car running smoothly. It's low key and behind the scenes. So um, it, it also appears to him, and this is not confirmed, that some of the other more senior team members had somehow gone to complain about the underperformance, which is what generated the wrath of the, the boss. And apparently was really quite disappointed and 
not in a nice way. Um, and he has tried to work with her and explain the situation and the feeling was of frustration because he didn't feel that, that she heard him. Um, and obviously he's demoralized, loves the job, by the way, loves and does not mind working 12 hours, but is just feeling like under, unappreciated and, and getting hammered. So first, um, I, I want to applaud that he's absolutely trying to do this in a positive way, which is fantastic. Um, I think going back um, a second time um, with the manager, and I know it's hard um, and you can't believe this is going on, but Raju, you need to just really, any anger, frustration, you've got to try to let that go, right? And, and really approach her in this, this um, I think a little bit of an olive branch. And I would say, I'm not making excuses for her. She may be getting hammered. She's having a horrible time. Her boss isn't being nice to her. Again, I'm not making excuses, but imagine that it's tough for, for her. And so I think that to go forward with an energy of, you know, hope, of earnestness, and to say, you know, I, I, um, I want to do great work. I appreciate and I'm, I'm grateful to have a job and being, being able to work with the team. Um, I'd like to go back to our conversation because I just feel like we're not on the same page and I can't be of help to you and the organization the way I'd like to. And it's making me so that, you know, I feel bad and, and, you know, I just don't think this is a win for us. And I think, you know, being slow, um, opening it up, you know, maybe you're on Zoom, you look in the person in the eye and say, you know, are, are, we open, are you open to a conversation? Now, the person may not be, okay? And then in which case, forget it. You know, if they're just going to say, I, I don't have time, they're too hysterical, they're not in good relationship with themselves, let's have compassion for them. You can only do what you can do. You can't force how this person responds, okay? But let's just say they're open. And then you just say, thank you for being open. And just say, you know, I think I, I shared some things. I'm not sure you heard me, meaning I obviously was not doing the right thing to communicate. So I'd love to start over. Give a chance to, to have that person feel how much you want to make this work. And then say, is it, could I share with you, you know, what I've got on my plate and let us together help me with what do I need to really um, prioritize so that, you know, I'm getting the most important things done. And you know that we can't all do everything. So I would suggest that as a back and forth way to feel it out and open it up. And then before you go in, you just want to know what is it that you want. And, and it, may, it may be, I get that we're in a tough place. And, you know, I just would appreciate if you acknowledge that I'm working really hard, doing overtime, and, you know, just a little bit of, appreciation for me would go would really go a long ways. And, and that's why I encourage all listeners, ask for what you need. Ask for what you need that's going to help you be your best because that's, that's going to help you uh, add the most value to your organization. Okay, so I hope, um, Raju, that helps out and you can loop back if you want to talk more about this. Okay, the next scenario, and I think folks can appreciate this. Uh, this person needs some professional advice in regards to a coworker um, who communicates with me in a condescending tone. This person feels that they're being condescended to. Now, if they were here, I would ask, is this one-on-one -on -one or is this something that um, is happening and you're being treated in a condescending way in a group? Because I think having transparency of that dynamic and the effect on everyone as a different dimension. My first thing for this, when anyone is feeling like someone's making me feel X, I really want to call up the opportunity to empower yourself. No one makes you feel bad about yourself. No one makes you feel bad about yourself. That's on you. Own it. That look, I, I see this is coming at me, but that doesn't change my sense of me. You're worth it. You're great regardless. I know that can be hard, right? Especially if people aren't as secure, you're in a space that you're not expert, but please do your best to realize you're a good human being. You know, you're trying to do the right thing and no one takes that away from you, okay? So I think uh, if it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, the first is exhaling the sense of how you're feeling, uh, indignant, whatever negativity, do your best to breathe that out. Um, and then the idea of understanding. It may, 
that might be how it's coming across to you, is that is it actually something that's deliberate? So the seeking first to understand. Um, and to be able to call out with someone and we'll call this person, Laura, Laura, you know, I value our partnership. I want us to work even better together. I'd love to talk through how we might do that. So you're kind of asking for permission. So you see the back and forth here. See, it's not a good time, find a good time. And then you come back together and say, you know, let's just play a little game here on a scale of one to 10. You know, how, how well do you think we're working as a team? And you start to have a conversation and what does it mean to work as a team? You might even say, you know, if people were looking at us working, how would they rate us? People start to get more interested when they feel other people are rating them, right? So this is a way to kind of just move it into an us situation. And then bring up um, the, the experience, not in a annoyed, judging, you know, very irritated or anything like that, but that, you know, there was a situation, set it up. Um, this is what you said. This is what the effect is, uh, was on me. Is that what you intended? and start to just open it up. There's no magic here. You're just being open and trying not to make that person be bad or get on their heels. And, and then, well, they may say, well, you shouldn't feel, you know, that I'm consent. I'm not trying to condescend you. You're not, you shouldn't feel that way. I say, I appreciate that. Um, and here's the thing. We all have different experiences of the same thing. Um, it's absolutely your right to talk to people in a way that you think is respectful. Um, but I would ask, you know, for us to, to work even better together, would you do X, Y, or Z? And, you know, I think in the right way, people aren't going to try to ramrod you as a teammate. It is about just rolling into the conversation in a unified kind of way and that you want to be better together, not making the person wrong. And then also owning that you may be seeing this, maybe you're taking it a little bit too personally. And because you're not so secure, which I think happens a lot, we tend to get a little bit off and look, you know, push back at others when actually the issue is more with them, okay? So I hope that is helpful. And then the third scenario, uh, this was fantastic. So this has to do with passive aggressive behavior. Um, and this individual wrote me, it says, we have a sales rep, they're not, they hadn't been performing. So as management, we changed around the territories and we reduced the territories. And this sales rep apparently didn't agree with the justification. And the sales rep has just disappeared. Like they're radio silent. They're not responding to management. And this person said, literally, I want to ask them in my blunt and poorly trained way, do we take this lack of communication as a sign of your willing, uh, being willing to continue to work with us? Um, however, I understand this may not get me the desired results. How do I recommend um, the approach? And this person just wants to understand, are you in or are you out? Okay, so this is a kind of shocking. You're like, how could you not respond at all to management? But obviously it's happening. So, um, and we'll, we'll just call this, this person um, Charles. So Charles, I know that you're shocked this person's doing it. Just assume positive intent out of the gate. Something terrible could have happened to the person. I'm not saying it did, but just something terrible could have happened. So reaching out, and again, because they're not responding to you, it's, over uh, an email or a text, um, hey, are you okay? I just want to check that you're okay, right? And maybe you get something back, maybe you don't get something back. Um, and then I think if you, over a text you get nothing back, the opportunity to email, hey, you know, we just want to lay this out. This is um, what happened. Um, you're not responding. You know, right now, part of, for the organization, it's, we really need people to communicate. Um, you may decide as a group that when people don't communicate, they just can't stay, which is totally your prerogative. And I would make that clear within your team before you write this email. Um, but just say, you know, we'd like to give a second chance here. There must be some misunderstanding, right? We suspect, and you're not saying it's a fact, you may be unsatisfied with the changes. If so, we're open to revisiting it so that we have clarity. Um, and just know, you know, for anyone who were to do this, it, it's not something we want. Um, and we wouldn't really support this happening on the team. But we are happy to have a conversation with you. I hope you can put yourself in our shoes. It's really hard to run the business if people don't interact with us. 
And if for some reason you're really not getting anything back, you can just say, this is the next step we're going to take. So um, it's not an easy situation. You know, if someone is really deliberately doing that, they're really having a hard time. They're really struggling. And you may realize that that's not the kind of person that's going to work for the team, which is totally your prerogative. And the, the notion is how you put them down, how you let them go is something the rest of the organization will see. And you want to do that in a way that honors the individual. You have every right to establish the behaviors and et cetera, et cetera. Just do it in a way where if it happened to you, you'd feel um, positive about it. Okay, so hopefully that's helpful. And uh, okay, so I wanted to wrap today's show on one of my own growth opportunities, uh, which probably isn't too shocking. Well, it's not shocking for the people who know me, but it may be shocking to you is I, I always, I'm always trying to be more patient. So I'm sharing uh, the quote that came from my morning meditation, thanks to my Calm app. Um, and the author of the quote is a Joyce Meyer. So thank you, Joyce. And it is, patience is not the ability to wait but it's how you act while you're waiting. Patience is not the ability to wait, but how you act while you're waiting. So give you that for food for thought. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 